had not even attempted. I frowned at my teacher, but it was impossible to hate him, even when he chastised me so. He had a way about him, in the way he carried himself, in the way he spoke, in the way he chastised me, gentle but firm. Mr. Roger Asham was thirty-one then, and in those days, long before he wrote The Schoolmaster, the work for which he became rightly famous after his death, he was already one of Cambridge's most celebrated instructors in classical Greek and Latin. And yet, if I could have wished anything more for him, it would have been that he were more handsome. He was of average build and average height, and in a world of rich young colts with broad shoulders, hard features, and the imperiousness of inherited wealth— this made him seem small, soft, harmless. He had a big round nose, hangdog brown eyes, and oversized ears that he kept covered with a mop of thick brown hair. I once overheard someone say that at a society ball, not a single one of the young ladies accepted his polite invitations to dance. I cried for him when I heard that. If those silly ladies only knew what they were missing... But while I shed tears for him over it, he didn't seem to mind. He was more interested in the art of learning, and he pursued that passion with a ferocious intensity. In fact, he displayed a deep intensity of concentration in almost everything he did, whether it was practicing his beloved archery, debating matters of state, reading a book, or teaching me. To learn, as far as Roger Ashen was concerned, was the noblest of all endeavours, and it was an active one. He was, quite simply, the most curious man I had ever met. Mr. Asham knew all manner of strange arcana, from theories about the ancient stone circles on the Salisbury Plain, to the latest scientific methods in medicine and mathematics. And what he didn't know, he sought to find out. Whether it was the visiting astronomer royal, the king's surgeon, or a travelling tinker selling a miracle cure, Mr. Asham would always probe them with pointed questions. Asking the astronomer royal if Amerigo Vespucci's claims about using the moon and Mars to determine longitude were valid. Asking my father's surgeon why certain plants caused certain kinds of rashes, or asking the tinker if he was aware that he was a quack. Such was Mr. Asham's knowledge of so broad a range of subjects, it was not unknown during his time at Cambridge for professors in other disciplines to come to his rooms to confer with him on areas of their own supposed expertise. For in a world where people claim to find higher wisdom from God or the Bible, my dear tutor prayed at the twin altars of knowledge and logic. Everything, he once told me, happens for a logical reason. From the downward flow of streams, to illnesses, to the actions of men, we just have to find that reason. The acquisition of knowledge, the sheer pleasure of finding things out, is the greatest gift in life. On one well-known occasion, after a local boy prone to foamy-mouthed fits died suddenly, and the local abbot attributed the event to the boy's possession by Satan, Mr. Asham asked to see the lad's brain. Yes, his brain! The dead boy's skull was cracked open, and sure enough, 
Mr. Asham found a white foreign body the size of an apple lodged in his brain. Mr. Asham later told me in reference to that event, Before we blame the supernatural, Bess, we should exhaust all the natural explanations first. The abbot didn't speak to him for a year after that. Not everyone shared Mr. Asham's pleasure for finding things out. And then, in the prime of his university career, he had come to teach me, a mere child, the third in line to the throne. Even at that tender age, it had struck me that the remarkable Mr. Roger Asham was wildly overqualified to be tutoring a girl of thirteen, even if she was a princess. I wondered why. What did he see in me that no one else did? In any case, this exchange between us about the Muslim Sultan's use of English was not unusual. I was wrong and he was right.